Turn to Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read the first seven verses of Isaiah chapter 9 and conclude our message this morning on the greatest birth of all. That, of course, is the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, I begin reading at verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, when at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, and upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Two weeks ago when we started this message, we talked about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ being the most notable of occurrences or events in the history of the world. I guess you could link that with the birth and as well the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the birth had to precede his life, death, and resurrection. So again, a very important point in the history of the world. This passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 emphasizes both the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the last time we met, we looked at four wonderful blessings that would be poured out upon the world at the time of the Savior's coming, at the time of the Messiah's birth. Those four things briefly were that he would give light to all who were in darkness and under the shadow of death. He would enlarge the nation of believers. He would deliver all who were under the yoke of bondage or oppression. And he would bring peace to the people and nations of the world. That incorporated the first five verses in this passage. And now today, verses 6 and 7, we'd like to look briefly at an overview of this passage and see how the Messiah is identified, he who would come. What does this passage of Scripture say about it here in verses 6 and 7? Notice with me, if you would, verse 6, the Scripture says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This refers to the Messiah's coming or the Messiah's birth. Both his humanity and his deity are predicted by the prophet Isaiah in this text. 
For you see, the words, a child is born, refers to the humanity of the Messiah. He will come to earth as a child born through the conception of a woman. Jesus Christ, when he was born into this world, was 100% man. And by the way, it doesn't matter if some lunatic college professor up in Minnesota declares that God was a rape or implies, excuse me, implies that God was a rapist and a predator for impregnating Mary without her permission. That, those are the words of a lunatic who is bought into the Satan's lie and his philosophy of an anti-Christ world. Satan is trying to replace God and is working steadily and busily at doing that. And there are many people in the world today, not just our country, but around the globe, who have bought into this philosophy that stands in opposition to God. Understand, God blessed Mary above all women. And she acknowledged the fact that she would be the mother of the Savior and received that blessing as such. No, I don't believe God is a predator or a bully in any sense of the word. This phrase refers to his humanity. The words, a son is given, points to his deity. The child being given indicates he was a gift of God himself and thus would be the son of God just as Jesus Christ was 100% man he was 100% God not half man half God not part man part God no 100% man 100% God you say I don't get it I don't understand it well I don't necessarily understand it either that is one of those truths and one of those things that are set forth in the word of God that we accept as it is presented to us and one day we'll better understand it but the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ is an essential matter for God's plan for redemption for the ages Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 declares therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel all of course all of this points to the coming of God's son the Lord Jesus Christ to earth for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life the very thought of such an, a miraculous event staggers the mind God became man that man might live with God what a blessed story yes it is the greatest story ever told he is the greatest gift ever given someone has stated Christ being born and given to us is the great foundation of our hopes and fountain of our joys in times of greatest grief and fear. Yes, Jesus Christ was the Messiah that was promised, and he came. The interesting thing we note about the Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we said, there were two lines of prophecy. One, he would come as a suffering Savior. The other, he would come as a reigning King. The Jewish nation, when Jesus came to the world, rejected 
that suffering Savior. They did not want a humble, uh, meek man who wasn't going to free them from Roman oppression. No, they were looking for that king. They were looking for that one who would crush the hand, uh, the, uh, the domination of the heathen nations. They were looking for a Messiah who would sit on David's throne as was promised. And that Messiah will come but hasn't yet. No, his first coming was as a servant. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Yes, the Messiah's birth was miraculous because it came in the exact way God said it would, but even that didn't satisfy many. Well, I trust today you are convinced that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin and that birth was experienced by Mary nearly 2,000 years ago. We note also Messiah's reign. We first we see his coming. Now we see his command. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. First part refers to his first coming. The this, this second part refers to his second coming when he will reign as king of the world. It says the government shall be upon his shoulder. This refers to the time when the entire world will be under his rule, his authority, and he will execute perfect judgment upon the world when he sits upon the throne of David. Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Zechariah 14.9 And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Yes, the government shall be upon his shoulders, the scripture says. This is a reference to the times when the, the ensign, the insignia of an office, was worn on the shoulder of one who stood in position of authority in government. Jesus Christ will have all the governments of the world upon his shoulder. He will be the one who stands in complete authority over all. Judgment will be according to righteousness. Every court proceeding will be in line with the law of God. No more favoritism. No more cover-ups. No more closed-door deals. Everything is going to be according to that which is true and right, which is the word of God. Jesus Christ is the word. So according to his rule, everything during that millennial reign of Christ will be according to righteousness. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to live in a a society that has a perfect ruler and perfect laws, far unlike what we see today. What a joy it will be to sit under him. But that's not going to take place until his second coming. You have the seven-year tribulation period. Well, backing up, you have the rapture of the church that is going to take place. That's next on God's prophetic calendar. It is his imminent return that we are looking for. It can happen at any time. All The Lord hath come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. He is on his way back. But 
Following that, you have the seven-year tribulation period. During that time, Satan is going to set up his rule and authority in the world, and it's going to drive a wedge between all peoples. It will be a time of terrible judgment on the earth. The last three and a half years of the tribulation is referred to the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be a bad, bad time for the nation of Israel. Then the sky is going to burst forth. And the Lord Jesus Christ will visibly, physically return to this earth. He will set his feet on the Mount of Olives, which will be uh, rent in two. And Jesus Christ will deliver the nation of Israel. Will free them from the judgment and the bondage and the trial and the tribulation and the torment of the Antichrist. For he'll destroy the enemies of Israel and he will thus establish his 1,000 year reign on earth. That's the promise that we have in scripture. And we'll get to more of that in just a minute but when you consider the messiah's reign he is going to reign as king of kings and lord of lords here on earth not just in heaven what a joy to know that he's coming again he'll receive the kingdom of the earth from his father to vindicate the misrule of those to whom it was entrusted those who misused their power and, and uh, authority Mankind, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was near him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Yes, the government shall be upon his shoulder. What a picture of God's power and authority. But in his first coming, what was laid on his shoulder was a picture of love and mercy. For it was the cross that was laid on his shoulders. He carried it to Calvary and endured the pain and the suffering for all mankind. For he took upon himself the sin of the world. John nineteen seventeen and bearing the cross went forth unto a place called uh, the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Yes, a cross was placed upon his shoulder at the first coming. But when he reigns as king, the government shall be placed upon his shoulder. And certainly he is worthy to receive that honor. Then we notice also in this verse the five titles. And I believe this is five titles, not just four, as some would contend. But I believe there's five titles here. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This refers to the Messiah's character. And we covered these uh, Sunday night a week ago, so we're not going to go through them again this morning. I'll simply remind you the word wonderful identifies the fact that the Messiah will amaze us. He'll be called Counselor, for he'll teach us. He'll be called the Mighty God, for he'll protect us. He'll be called the Everlasting Father, for he will care for us. He'll be called the Prince of Peace, for he will comfort us. Oh, how amazing it is when you consider the statements, the promises, the, the things that were said about, uh, about the Messiah and his coming and the blessings that would be poured out as referred to in those first five verses of this text. And you wonder, how can that be? Well, here it is laid out for us in verses six and seven. And then when you consider this God of comfort, uh, actually verse seven gives us more detail about that very aspect. Notice the Messiah's comfort. 
of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice for henceforth, even forever. You see, the Messiah, when he returns to this world, he will establish God's kingdom on earth as he promised in the Davidic covenant. And he promised that the Messiah would sit upon the throne of David in Second Samuel chapter 7. But the great promise given to Daniel concerning the Messiah was already well known throughout Israel when Isaiah made this prophecy. Remember, this statement was made, or this passage here, uh, here in, this, in the context, this is Isaiah speaking 700 years before the birth of Christ. But yet, people had already for some time been looking up for the Messiah. And when you consider the, the promise of God in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's amazing all the promises he gave the nation of Israel to offer comfort to them. I'm just going to mention these briefly this morning. Second Samuel chapter 7 verse 11. God promised to establish a house or dynasty, a kingdom for David. And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. Then we notice in verse 12, God promised to give David a seed, a descendant or offspring who was to be raised up by God himself. And when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Now that promise was literally fulfilled through his son Solomon, who became the next king of Israel and so on. But prophetically, it was referring to that Messiah who would come, that one who would be born of a virgin, that one who would dwell among men. Notice in uh, verse 12 also, God promised to give David a kingdom and would be established by God himself. Then in verse 13, God promised this descendant would build a spiritual house of worship. He shall build an house for my name. This is a clear reference to Solomon's building the temple, the days of his reign in Jerusalem. But this is also a clear reference to Christ building that spiritual house wherein Christ would be the king. Also in verse 17, God made a most unique promise to David, namely that he would establish his throne or kingdom forever. As you look back over the days of, of uh, history, the history of mankind, do we not see individuals who fully intended to establish their name as a power on this earth forever? The difference between them and the Messiah is all of them failed. All of them, their name, their lineage, their power, their influence, their authority, it came to an end. But not with our Lord. Second Samuel seven thirteen. the end of that verse says, I will, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. David's descendants are not ruling in Israel today. There is a parenthesis, if you will, an interruption in the history of the nation of Israel. And it's referred to as the time of the Gentiles. You see, the Jews rejected Jesus Christ when he came to them nearly 2,000 years ago. 
from that point on, the message of salvation was sent not just to the Jews, but to all peoples everywhere. Every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue is invited to receive the free gift of salvation and come under the authority of that one who would one day sit upon the throne of David and reestablish that lineage of David. Well, God promised David a descendant who would be his very own son. Notice this in 2 Samuel seven fourteen: I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. Yes, David's literal sons, sons and descendants became the king, but lest we forget the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ was born of the lineage of David. And then lastly, in, in verses 14 and 15 of Second Samuel 7, God made a promise to David that he would chastise and punish the descendant for sin. I just read that. I'm going to read it again. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. God did literally chasten the descendants of David for their turning away from the God of Israel and following iniquity and idolatry. God is well chastened the descendant of David, the Messiah. For by his stripes we are healed. God thus fulfilled these promises and or, or did or will fulfill these promises in the birth of the Messiah. We see his coming. We see his command. We see his character. We see his comfort. But as we look at verse 7, there at the end, notice the last phrase. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, the confidence of the Messiah. Here we have the Messiah's assurance. You know, it's one thing for somebody to make a promise, but it's another thing altogether for somebody to have the power and the ability and the resolve to see it through. How many times have each of us made promises to others that we've broken? How many times have promises been made to us that someone didn't follow through with? We're humans. We have our own frailties and limitations. We fail. We falter. God is void of all of those. He's not a man that he should sin, neither the son of man that he should repent. Oh, no. When God makes a promise, he's going to see it through. And all these promises he made concerning the coming of the Messiah, both his first coming, those he's already fulfilled, and his second coming, which he will fulfill, are satisfied in Jesus Christ. What a joy to know. The Messiah's work will be guaranteed by God's zeal. You know, sometimes zeal gets us in trouble because it leads us to do things maybe we've gone a little bit too far in something, a little bit too much exuberance, a little, little bit too much of ourselves. But when you talk about the zeal of the Lord, 
That indicates God in his determination is going to see it through to the end. Nothing is going to interfere with the second coming of the Messiah. All Satan tried to bring an end to the first coming. He tried to put a stop to it with many different attempts. But all of them failed. And he is trying to supplant. He is trying to replace the Messiah today in the hearts of minds and people of which he has been successful. But that will not Delay or defeat the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing will stop him from breaking through the eastern sky and coming to this earth and establishing his kingdom on heaven. We have the very promise of God which we can claim and depend upon. Burning passion floods the heart of God. A passion to fulfill his Word, And that will take place. 700 years ago, Isaiah penned these words, not fully understanding what they meant. We stand today able, able to understand what God is saying. And mankind today has the ability to read the word of God, to hear the preaching of the word, to come under the sound and authority of the word and submit to it. Or reject it. Why in the world would somebody deny the multitude of promises associated with the first coming of the Messiah? Why would they say, I don't believe it. I don't accept it. I don't go along with it. I don't agree with it. I will not be a Christian. How tragic. How sad. Some of the saddest words recorded in all the word of God. King Agrippa when he said, almost thou persuadest me. To be a Christian. How sad for all those today who are sitting in churches across the country and around the world who could repeat those words almost. Not quite there. I don't quite get it. I'm not sure I can go along with it. Almost. It sounds good. I'm going to go another way. How tragic. How sad. God forbid that anyone who would come under the sound of the preaching of the word of God would turn away and not receive Jesus Christ as his or her Savior. How sad. Just as the Messiah came the first time to save the world, so he will come the second time to sit upon the eternal throne of David and to judge the world. This prophecy is guaranteed by God's zeal. Jesus Christ is the promised child of God's redemption. The nation of Israel doesn't see that. But they will. Oh, what they're going to have to go through to acknowledge that. For us today on this side of the tribulation, people today don't have to go through pain, and heartache, torment, rejection, terror, All they need to do is turn to the scriptures. For it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, how easy it is for someone to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. How hard it is for them to set aside their pride and say, I trust God. Yes, we see his birth, his reign, his titles, his comfort, his assurance, his coming, his command, his character. His comfort, his confidence, all of this in this passage of scripture and much more 
if we take time to delve further into it. But for this morning, just a highlight of what we see concerning the greatest birth of all time. The fact that the Savior of the world was born and came to mankind in the form of a baby there in Bethlehem, grew up in Nazareth of Galilee, and ministered among the people of Palestine. That's a message that is available to everyone today, if only they would trust in the Christ of Christmas. Someone said, who could have dreamed this little baby could change the world? Another stated the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. And then lastly, selfishness makes Christmas a burden. Love makes it a delight. What greater love hath this, that a man lay down his life for his friend? That's exactly what took place. Jesus Christ took this position. After all he had done for mankind, he died for the sins of the world. He was born. He died that we might live. Amen. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given.